They called it a race, but there was no competition. Max Verstappen was dominant in the Styrian Grand Prix, leaving Lewis Hamilton to wonder how he can get back on level terms. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Aminato, and welcome to Round 8, the Styrian Grand Prix. For Heeltrek.com, socks inspired by iconic cars. Use the code word STRATEGY for 10% off. The RB16B was peerless at the Red Bull Ring. Both Max Verstappen's Q3 laps were good enough for pole, and he led every lap to claim a dominant victory over Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas was able to beat Sergio Perez to third, despite a late, daring dash by the Mexican, but there was no escaping the fact that Red Bull Racing appears to have found another level of performance. The Milton Keynes-based team brought a raft of upgrades to the car, while Mercedes admitted it had no more developments in the pipeline bad news as momentum swings dramatically away from the reigning constructors champion. In the midfield, Lando Norris took fifth for best of the rest ahead of the rapid Ferraris, but Carlos Sainz finished the race ruining an unusual situation getting stuck behind Lewis Hamilton in a faster car while a lap down. But what implications will the Styrian Grand Prix have on the world championship? Let's try to answer that question with this week's guest, F1 managing editor of motorsportmagazine.com, Christian Menard. Thanks for joining me, Christian. How are you doing? Hi, Michael. Thanks for the invitation. I'm doing great. Home race, always a good race. Hope you're doing well as well. Yeah, I mean, this was a very interesting race. It certainly wasn't the one I was expecting, I have to say. It was a pretty comprehensive victory for Max Verstappen. So I want to start right here from the Mercedes side of the coin, of course. How serious a defeat was this for Mercedes? Their most comprehensive, probably, of the turbo hybrid era. For the championship, how big a deal is this? Yeah, I think... If you listen to the comments after the race, it was pretty clear how um, how the mood is in the, in the Mercedes camp. If you listen to Lewis in the press conference, he was talking about upgrades he's not getting and um, Red Bull's developing the car. So I think there is some fear at, uh, in the Mercedes camp, especially on the driver side, that um, this is just the beginning. Because, I mean, okay, they lost like two-tenths a lap. On, on other circuits, it might be a bit different. They can be ahead again. But if it's, if the trend is like that, that they're losing from race to race a bit more because Red Bull's bringing upgrades whilst Mercedes is not bringing upgrades, then that's going to be a huge problem. And I think that's what, what's in their heads now. And especially in Lewis, in Lewis' head. There's no doubt about that. Lewis loves pointing out all the places that Mercedes is, is losing performance in any given track. I want to compare this to, to the result in France, where even though Mercedes didn't win there either, they seem to have the faster car on race day. Fast forward here to Austria, the first of two races in Austria as well. Is it fair to say some of the deficit is circuit specific? Mercedes does sometimes have weird results in Austria. Or is this what we're seeing, this development of the Red Bull car? I mean, there were reports as many as five trucks worth of upgrades for the Red Bull car were arriving this weekend. How much of it is track? How much of it is that development? I think trucks is a bit exaggerated. Um, (laughs) I've heard that comment as well, but I think it's more like vans, uh, these these little things uh, with some parts in there. But I don't think that there is a massive difference between um, France and Austria performance-wise, just in the car. Uh, because it's it's back to back of course there are some some bits and pieces but i don't think there is uh, a black and white difference with, with these small upgrades i think it's more track specific as you've mentioned mercedes has never been really strong in austria um perhaps it's also due to the to the engine i mean we were talking a lot about the engine and the and and, and the drag the rear wings and so on but i think the the deficit I'm not sure if we can talk about a deficit of the Mercedes engine, but um, if you look to the, in the past, the Honda engine has always been good 
in high altitude. And you have to remember that Austria is in 700 meters. It's not Mexico City, but still 700 meters. And they tended to have a bit bigger turbocharger. Um, and the, tur uh, and the bigger turbine is better in the altitude. So I think they had a bit of an advantage the last years in, in high altitude races. And it seems like it's the same again. And also the circuit itself, um, has proven in the past to be a bit better for Red Bull than for Mercedes. So I would say the gap we've seen this weekend, um, is pretty similar to the one we've seen last weekend. It's just a different, different circuit and not the level of, of, of performance of the car. And just before we move on from this idea of, of how the cars are changing, this is a, a bit of an unusual year because not only have we now got this cost cap, we've got restrictions on development as well as all part of the new agreements going forward. And of course, next year, the new regulations the teams have to try and focus on. Toto Wolff said after the race that there'll be no more upgrades for Mercedes, no major upgrades certainly for the Mercedes car this year. Christian Horner has said he'd be surprised if that's the case, but obviously Red Bull are upgrading their car. Are you surprised that Red Bull seems to be the last of the constructors that are really bringing a lot of updates to this car at the expense of next year? Is it surprising as well that Mercedes, knowing the titles on the line, have really just focused only on next year? Um, I think you. it's a bit difficult because when, when we say Mercedes is already focused 100% on 2022, it seems like they're not getting any new parts, but from what I've heard, they just stopped developing the car in the wind tunnel. That doesn't mean that there are no new parts coming from Mercedes, um, because there is always a delay in developing and manufacturing. So there will be some new parts for, for the next races. If there are major upgrades, I doubt it, but there will be some new parts. But we've heard from Mercedes they stopped developing. So I was talking to, Helmut Marco recently, and he said we have an update schedule, an upgrade schedule until the summer break. So that's definitely longer than Mercedes. Um, but it's not miles away, I guess. And, um, am I surprised? Not really. Helmut Marco said clearly we are not BMW. <laughs> and he referred to 2008 when they were in the, in the championship fight with Robert Kubica. And then they said our plan is to win the championship in 29, in, in 2009 with the, with the new hybrid, with the curse era. And, um, I think we all know the result. BMW didn't win in 2008 and didn't win in 2009 either. And Helmut Marco said clearly we are not BMW. We want to win this championship. And if you look, back to the last year so look back to the whole hybrid era i mean what, what would we expect mercedes won so many championships and of course it's it's still one championship and it's still important but for them it doesn't make a huge difference if it's one title more or less and for red bull it does make a huge difference so i'm not surprised by the by the slightly different approaches by the two teams It'll be interesting to see of course how it plays out over the course of the year this is normally the part of the podcast that we talk about the race winning move but Max Verstappen didn't really have to make very many race winning moves this weekend had two laps quick enough for pole in qualifying perfect getaway easily covered Lewis Hamilton at the first stops was really just managing his pace for most of this race this was very much a comprehensive win for Red Bull Racing there was one element of strategy I think a, a couple of people were expecting in this Grand Prix in the the second third of the race anyway where it seemed for a time that Lewis Hamilton was being told to push <laughs> 
when it was clear you know, the gap was around about six or seven seconds, he started to push on the hard tyres in the second stint. It seemed like, as we've seen at a couple of races now this year, the following car was going to make this second pit stop. The chase would be on. He'd try to recover. There was just about enough gap down to him to Bottas and Perez. Should Mercedes have made a different call here? Was there something worth trying, even if they didn't ultimately have the pace to overhaul Max Verstappen? Are you surprised they didn't try something alternative, given obviously on raw pace there was nothing there for them? Yeah, but I think they realized pretty quickly that um, there is no no point in making an additional stop there. Uh, They thought about making that stop with Bottas, but Bottas was in a direct fight uh, with, with Paris, and... Hamilton just wasn't a direct fight with Verstappen, so uh, I think their calculations uh, said it, it's it's not worth taking the risk. And um, I think they they could have done anything that race, and they wouldn't have won it without a major mistake from from Red Bull or Max. It just really was one of those a really Mercedes esque race. I think it's strange to say the first time in I think Toto Wolff said it didn't he, in the Turbo Hybrid era that they've really been challenged. If anything, the the fight for the podium was almost the the third place on the podium. I should say was almost the more interesting one between Perez and Bottas. They were pretty closely matched for most of this race. Uh, Perez got well, was ahead at the start. I should say Bottas got ahead through a slow stop for Red Bull Racing. I thought this was interesting because it came, of course, in the week where we've had clarifications from the FIA about minimum pit stop times, fundamentally, isn't it? And I, I love the the aggression between Mercedes and Red Bull with these various rule changes that have been happening in the last couple of weeks. Do you really think Red Bull Racing's pit stops are at risk of being slowed down here? The rules, of course, about preempting pit stop releases and things like this. Of course, that wasn't in effect this weekend, so that didn't affect Sergio Perez. But... Is this really going to be a battleground for the ne- for the rest of the year? These these pit stop times. Everything is a battleground, and especially <laughs> for title fight, is is, is that close? Um, you're looking for every single thing that matters in the end, and that brings performance or can slow the uh, the competitor down. But from what I've heard, it's it's it wasn't Mercedes that pushed for that change. There were some other teams mm-hmm. on, on on the grid, and there is this famous DHL pit stop award and there are really really nice numbers on there and if you look through that numbers you probably get a better understanding um, which teams are more in favor of this technical directive that came out because Mercedes of course is not as fast as Red Bull but they're not miles away they're I think second or third fastest team in pit stops so um, there are some other teams that, that have more interest in that but yeah, um, from what I've heard, they are losing round about three or two four tenths because of that technical directive, because there are some safety margins in there and the whole operations between when the, the mechanics say the tires fitted and when the guy who's operating the, the lights can uh, say, okay, car released from the checks and so on. So that's going to be interesting. And it looked like Red Bull already tried something this weekend. <laughs> unintentionally (laughs) we'll get a a little bit of a sense of what it's like for slower stops it wasn't all over for Sergio Perez at that point he was pretty close to Bottas in in the middle part of the race but ultimately couldn't pass him They they were fairly closely matched but then Red Bull did pull that second stop they were one of the teams that did try the second stop one of the few teams really it came very close didn't it half a second at the flag it's always easy to say things in hindsight isn't it but do you think was it a lap late really i mean he pulled it what half a lap he said after the race didn't he he needed an extra half a lap to get past Bottas. most of the passes were in that first stint was there a little bit more for perez here was this a little bit of a let's say good luck on mercedes part yeah 
I mean, you said in hindsight, it's it's all always easy to say, but he pitted in lap uh, 54, and we all know that Sergio is is incredible when it comes to managing the tires. And from lap 54 until the finish to lap 71, it's not the the stint is not that long, and I think they could have extended that one with the with the medium tire. Um, I mean, they all have their, their strategy tools saying what, what's the fastest possible strategy till the end from, from a certain point of the race onwards. But, but it just seems to me that if they would have pitted a bit earlier, he would have had a bit more chances. And then you can also ask yourself if, I mean, it, he was like three or four seconds behind two or three laps before the end of the race. Then you can also think about going for the fastest lap. That would have been interesting as well, because I think he had the margin to, to Norris. For, for an extra pit stop. And then it would have been a, a really, really nice fight between Lewis and, and Sergio at the end of the race um, for, for the fastest lap point. And um, that would have been, for the title fight, even better than P3 because then Lewis loses one point. I mean, one side is, 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 the, is the constructor championship, the other side is, is the driver's championship. But um, if you are able to take away one point from Lewis Hamilton in the driver's championship... That might be a massive help for Max at the end of the year. So um, I was a bit surprised that they didn't try it because it l didn't look that realistic that uh, Sergio would... Uh, I mean, one thing is to, to catch up to the other guy. The other thing is to get past. So, And it didn't look that great for Sergio at that point of the race. So I thought about they could go for the fastest lap. In the end, they didn't. Um, I mean, it wasn't. he wasn't too far away in, in the finish line. So... It was worth the try, yeah, I think so, but it didn't went very well in the end. It was worth a shot. It's it's interesting though, the gaps between these two cars meant the battle for the old top three positions, the top four positions really, was less interesting than the rest of the field. This was almost a little bit of a 2020 or 2019 kind of race where the battle at the front wasn't as good as the midfield, I thought. Some really interesting results in the battle for third in the championship. Norris finished uh, fifth comfortably. Well, he was certainly best of the rest in this race. Uh, but really, I'm not convinced that McLaren had the next best car in this Grand Prix. Really, Lando Norris had a, had a great result because he qualified really well, was even battling with Perez and Bottas really briefly, but ultimately made the decision to, to let them go in the interest of his own race. But Ferrari, for me, was the more interesting one here because both, both Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc started outside the top 10 on lap one because, of course, Leclerc had that crash on lap one. He ended up uh, third last, 18th at the end of the first lap. How much can we understand from from that car how quickly they rose up the order? They finished right behind Norris in, in sixth and seventh. And considering that only last week we were talking about how the Ferrari car can't keep its tyres alive, they were talking about how this is a problem with the car, they knew it was coming. Carlos Sainz said the equal longest stint on the medium tyre. How has that happened in the space of one week? I think the biggest difference is, is just the circuit. The circuit and, and, the, and the conditions, because... If we look back to France one week ago, on Friday, both Ferrari drivers, uh, sorry, on, on Saturday, both Ferrari drivers told me, yeah, we were pretty confident that we have better race pace than in the previous races than in, 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 for example, Baku, because they were fantastic in qualifying, as we've seen with Charles' pole position, but they were nowhere in the race. And he was so confident that they're a lot better in the race in France than, than they have been in the, in, in the races before, and, and Carlos as well. And then it came as a Really, really, really big surprise how bad they were on, on Sunday in France. And 
because the long runs on Friday, they look pretty, pretty encouraging. So what has changed there is there was rain. The track was green. Temperatures were, were slightly different. And then they had huge problems with their front tires because they were sliding a bit more and they were out of the window and they were sliding even more and, and so on. So, and in Austria, we had a green track as well because it was raining a lot during the night. And after the race, we had a few drops of rain as well. It was just not raining during the sessions as we <laughs> just, as always in Formula One, it's always, it's usually, it's always raining when the, when the race is finished and we go downstairs from the media center, <laughs> go to the paddock, do the interviews and we get a bit wet. Um, so there was a green track as well, but it wasn't a, a huge problem, uh, problem in, in Austria because the track is just so different. You don't have these long cornering sequences as you have in France where you put a lot of load into the front tires. Um, it's a bit more about the rears there. So I think that was a huge help for Ferrari, just the track characteristics and the conditions. It was a lot warmer there in, in France on, on race Sunday was cooler, which didn't help Ferrari. And um, of course, they had some emergency, emergency meetings in between. Carlos Sainz said he went to, to Maranello on Sunday evening. He stayed there f until Wednesday and they had a lot of briefings, a lot of emergency meetings about that topic. Um, Mattia Binotto told us that there is nothing major they can do with the car. It's just in how the car, the way the car is designed. They can adjust the setup or some stuff like that slightly, but it's, um, they are pretty sure that they will be back in trouble on circuits like Silverstone in, in, in the wrong conditions. So, um, I think it was just track specific. Normally, emergency meetings at Ferrari end with, or they used to end with someone getting sacked, but now they <laughs> end up with positive results at Austria. That's pretty good. I want to talk about science in particular because he had uh, almost, let's say, the the well, almost the optimal strategy. I think in this situation, Norris had the default strategy. Ran quite long on the softs to lap thirty one. Really was running his own race. Science made up positions in that first stint by running long until lap 41 on the medium tyre. Had a really competitive second stint on, on the hard tyre, didn't he? But we saw something, certainly because of the shortness of the circuit, didn't we? That he was actually delayed by Lewis Hamilton because he was lapped. And he says this cost him some time because he didn't really know whether or not to unlap himself. It was difficult. It's difficult to unlap yourself in general. Sometimes we see cars crash when they try to unlap <laughs> themselves. How costly was that? And is that, I mean, that's not something we often have to see being factored in, normally getting lapped quite late in the race. Was that just a little bit of a, let's say, a missed opportunity? I think Sci science was um, pretty pretty clear that he thought he, he would have the chance to, to catch up to Norris and, and put him a, a bit under pressure. But I think Norris, on the other hand, was managing his pace quite a lot because there was no reason for Norris to... Um, to go a lot faster because he didn't have any chance to, to, um, push Paris a bit or whatever. He was so far ahead. And I think he was just managing his tires and his pace. So there was no reason for Norris to really go fast. But for science, it was, I can imagine a bit annoying. And he was there. So he came out of the pits with the, with the fresh hard tires. Then he, he passed straw, but his tires were not up to temperature 100%. And then Lewis came from behind. Science get the, got the, the blue flags. He had to let him pass. And then he thought Lewis would disappear, but he didn't, he didn't. He was faster than Lewis and he was in, in, almost in his gearbox. But as you said, he didn't know what to do. So he was behind Lewis for like, for almost 20 laps. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> and 
Then the teams communicated, actually, and they found a way. Mercedes, um, he got into the DRS of, of Lewis, and um, Ferrari told Mercedes it would be good if you let him buy. And then, yeah, Lewis didn't make it too difficult for, for Carlos, but by, um, at that point, his race was almost over, so there was no chance for him anymore to, to, um, to get to, to Norris because his front tires were finished. He was in the... And dirty air for like 20 laps. And um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame, but we never know what would have happened. But in my opinion, um, Norris would have had a bit more pace in his hands if, if he would have needed it. Very unusual situation indeed. There's one more comparison I want to make between Ferrari and McLaren. And that's between Charles Leclerc or Carlos Sainz. You could really choose either. And Daniel Ricciardo, because while we know that Ferrari had great pace this weekend, and maybe we don't know the full extent of McLaren's pace, given Norris never really had to show it, we saw Daniel Ricciardo get a great start up to ninth from 13th, then had a power unit problem drop back to 13th after only a couple of laps, and then didn't really make that much progress after that, whereas both Ferrari drivers starting outside the point. Did he he make progress at all, Michael? Yeah, exactly right. That's a fair call, absolutely. Whereas both Ferrari drivers made very easy progress, didn't they? So I I wonder how much of that in your interpretation, is that just Daniel continuing to struggle or is it that the McLaren car was flattered a little bit by Lando Norris in this this race in particular? To be honest, I think it's uh, it's a... his struggles continue unfortunately because on friday it looked all okay for him he was pretty optimistic after friday after practice sessions he said of course i knew i wouldn't fight for pole position but he had a really good feeling and then from saturday onwards he was nowhere it was just nowhere and in uh, fp3 both mclaren were nowhere but for norris the lap times were deleted if the if uh, Lando's lap times weren't deleted in FP3, he would have been, in, I think, in top five or something like that. And Daniel would have been behind Mick Schumacher. So, um, and that was just his real pace at, at that moment. And uh, I was I was really shocked. So, and, and in qualifying, we saw exactly the same picture. So, um, of course, he had that good start. Then the problem that was really unfortunate. But then, in the end, he was not able to make any progress. And in my opinion, he should have been because you mentioned the Ferraris. They made that progress and the Ferrari is not that strong on the straight. And the McLaren is pretty strong on the straight. So it should have been possible for him, especially because the McLaren itself had the pace. And okay, you you, you can argue, did he have the better pace than the Ferrari? I think it was very similar in the race um, between Ferrari and McLaren. And then it's really disappointing to finish that race behind Vettel. I think that's absolutely right. A a fairly underwhelming result again for Daniel Ricciardo after some promising signs during practice or so it seemed. Didn't help that he was essentially undercut by Kimi Räikkönen. He was behind Kimi Räikkönen at their sole pit stops, but uh, Ricciardo led his pit stop run until lap 41, switching to the hard tyre, which I was a little bit surprised they waited so long given the hard tyre could have done comfortably half the race. He was getting... I guess, okay times out of the medium, but they did delay on that stop. But the hard tie was very much the backbone of strategy. There's sort of one more point I want to bring up here before we kind of wrap this one up, which is that Kimi Räikkönen was the only driver to start on the hard tyre in this Grand Prix. And it did work for him. He almost got into the points anyway, finished within only a second, essentially in a DRS train in the lower points places towards the end of this race. But given we had, and I'm going to pick on one driver in, in particular here, Esteban Ocon, for example, who theoretically was out of position given Fernando Alonso qualified in the top 10. 
You surprised no, that Alpine didn't really try anything different with Ocon's strategy in this race, given that car should have had the pace to score much better, or to score at all in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't understand why not more teams opted for for the for a start on the hard tires. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think in hindsight, they would have. I, I mean, if you if you look at Leclerc's race as well, in the end he started on the hard tire because he was just pitting in, in, in lap one and and went for the hard tire and, and went and. In the end, it, it seemed like a pretty good strategy. And with, as you've mentioned, with Kimi, he was just uh, just a bit behind the points. And in hindsight, I think a lot of teams should have should have tried a start on the hard, um, especially in these conditions because it was so hot. I think just before the race, Mario Isola came to me and he said, "45 degrees, 45 degrees track temperature." I said, "Yeah, okay, what does it mean?" Yeah, it's uh, that the strategy is going more towards um, medium and hard instead of medium and soft because the working ranges of the of the tires and especially at the, at the beginning of the race the temperatures were high and the cars were heavy with the fuel, so that was a big help for for the hard tires. And um, I was surprised to see only Kimi starting on the hard tire. And in, in my opinion, uh, Alpine had definitely should have tried it with Ocon. I think absolutely, and there's probably a good reason for a couple of drivers to have considered it. Just to wrap this one up, of course, we've got this used to be unusual, sometimes a bit more usual situation of two races at the same circuit back to back. Softer tyres this weekend. Again, there's rain on the radar, although there was thunderstorms all weekend and they didn't turn up for either any of the sessions, only after the sessions, as you said. Is there any reason to think that this won't just be another Red Bull dominant weekend? I think we thought the same about Silverstone last year and that it would be just another Mercedes dominant weekend. And it was, uh, I think Max won the race after. Um, but it, but it's hard to believe that, uh, there are major changes in the, in the packing order, I guess. So usually the softer the tires are, the better the Red Bull is because one strength of the Mercedes is to, to get out everything of, of the harder and the medium tires and not getting that much performance out of the softest tires so um max made a good point when he said you've learned your lessons after after that weekend and everything everyone learns uh it's le- their lessons and then everything's getting a bit closer i can imagine that it's getting a bit closer but in the end it won't change too much at the front of the field is my assumption well, maybe we need to hope for that rain. And finally, before I let you go, Christian, of course, this episode of the Strategy Report is brought to you by Heel Tread, socks inspired by iconic cars. You get a pair just for free for rocking up, but if you want another one, 10% off, use the code word strategy at heeltread.com. What pair of socks did you choose and why? Yeah, thanks very much for the offer, Michael. And um, I would go for, for the Saab socks. Um, why? Because Saab was my first car. Mm-hmm. Actually, not a 900, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it was a 9.3, but um, I still love the brand, even if it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, Saab's a great brand. Hey, uh, look, I can't argue with you on that one. And that's what it's all about. You know, the designs that, that give you good memories, I suppose. So they're coming to you. And of course, anyone who wants a pair, 10% off, use the code word strategy at heeltread.com. Christian, a really interesting race in the championship fight. It'll be interesting to see how the next one at the Red Bull Ring goes. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Michael. 
There are certainly reasons to think Red Bull Racing's performance was exaggerated by the conditions of the Red Bull Ring, but there's also no doubt Mercedes is feeling the heat. And if Verstappen wins again, taking his margin to 25 points or more, even in equal machinery, Hamilton will have his work cut out to regain parity. Thanks very much to Christian Menard from the German language motorsport magazine for joining me. The Strategy Report is supported by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. Go to heeltread.com and use the code word STRATEGY for a 10% discount. Make sure you never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google, Apple, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork. And our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato, and I'll be back next week to debrief all the action from Austria 2, the Austrian Grand Prix.